Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,211. And today, you better buckle up because we're at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We're going to have some fun. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Guess what? I'm today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with a very special guest by the name of Joe Hale. Joe, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? It's a pleasure to be here, and absolutely. We're going to have some fun. Now, before I introduce you, we talk about this amazing facility, your involvement, and a very cool new book that's coming out. What's one little thing that most people don't know about Joe Hale? That I feel so fortunate to be here right now because it's really giving me an opportunity to learn a completely new industry. I mean, I'm from Indiana originally, born here, grew up here, and Southern Indiana, we listened to the 500 on the radio on Memorial Day. You know, my dad was a mailman, couldn't really afford to come to the race, but we certainly listened to it. And and I'm not going to say that, you know, historically I'm a car guy because I have learned so much the last two years from being here. Yes, I used to watch the race. Yes, I like cool cars. But in terms of really digging into it and learning a lot, it's been such a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, this is the second career for me, too. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in being a lifelong learner, and it never stops. And this is just the the coolest opportunity for me I can imagine. Well, you're a fortunate guy because that is a neat place. I've had the luxury of being there for several races, including the first F1 races that ran there, but of course for the Indy 500. And as I describe and introduce you here, you listeners will learn uh, that, yeah, indeed, Joe comes from a wide variety of different industries and career paths. We'll learn how you landed in this role, talk about cars and a fantastic new book that Bill Pack put together. You listeners heard me talk to him last week. This thing is pretty cool. So let me give you an introduction. Joe Hale is the president of the Indian Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. He's leading the team to reimagine the museum in a wholesale fashion and to guide the museum staff and supporters towards a future state-of-the-art museum, community asset, and world-class destination. His career started as a high school teacher, and he's come a long way since then in a wide variety of, of different venues. He later joined the Indiana Arts Commission back in 1975. My gosh, I was in high school then. Moved to a programming <laughs> role in historic New Harmony in Southwest Indiana. He says he's an Indiana boy. I think so. Joe then returned to Indianapolis to lead the Metropolitan Arts Council. He was the executive director of the Dreamland, a year-round nonprofit film and cultural development center on Nantucket Island in Massachusetts. He kind of went east. Transformed it from operating at an annual deficit to a strong surplus while creating a pillar within the Nantucket community. He served as interim president for the PSI Energy and president of CG&E and CCO at Synergy after a merger and president of the Synergy Foundation. You have been all over the place, my friend. So we'll be back in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love. They put the fuel in the tanks here and we'll be right back. Do you live where the climate is a great challenge? I do. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, it rains a lot during the winter and even into the spring. And that's why I love Covercraft's newest five-layer all-climate cover. It was specially developed and engineered for anything that Mother Nature can throw your way. 
It's soft, it's breathable, and easy to store, and it pampers your paint plus your interior surfaces from maximum UV, rain, dust, and snow protection. Add their gust guards if you live in a windy area for extra protection to keep your cover secure. Your five-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's specific attention to detail, form, and fit. The quality and attention has been their standard since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and your watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected by a Covercraft cover, whether stored indoor or out. And I've got a deal for you. If you use the code ya 21 at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. American Collectors Insurance, that's my go-to for all collector car insurance needs. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Rains here at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. You listeners know that I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of carnauba wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. So, Joe, what a life. I want to talk a little bit about your career because you've done a lot of very interesting things. And then bring that into how did you land at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway directing what, and I've been to the museum, it is full of wonderful things and I can't wait to see where you guys take it. But let's have a little walk through your career path because you've done a lot of different things. Well, listening to you describe it, it sounds like I can't keep a job. (laughs) I didn't say that. You did. (laughs) But, you know, one thing has always led to another. And I did. I 
I, I was born and raised in Southern Indiana and my mother got polio when she was in her ninth month of pregnancy with me. Oh my gosh. So she was in an iron lung when I was born what? and you know, we weren't, supposed to, we weren't supposed to live. No one had ever had a child that late in their pregnancy. Wow. But anyway, she eventually regained use of her upper body and she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. She had my brother three and a half years later. Wow. But one of my earliest memories is pushing her wheelchair around the neighborhood New Albany, Indiana, collecting money for the March of Dimes. So this wow. whole idea of kind of giving back to the community, the whole importance of the nonprofit sector in our society has just been instilled in me from the very beginning. So I, you know, I've kind of carried that forward because regardless of what I've been doing career-wise, being involved in the community, being involved in helping different organizations, either on the board or as a volunteer, has been very happy too. Very part of my life as well. But anyway, I, you know, I was in New Albany, went to college. In, in Indiana, certainly. Started teaching in Southern Indiana. I was coaching the girls' swim team. And then we moved to Germany for two years where I, I taught in Germany and did a little coaching over there. Came back to Indiana and thought I wanted to get a PhD. Started it. It wasn't a fit. And so then I moved to Indianapolis and we, we kind of began our, our true careers here, my wife and myself. And so had our children here. You know, I, I worked in the not-for-profit sector, as you mentioned, Mark, but then when I uh, turned 30, I thought maybe it's time to get a real job, whatever that is. <laughs> and uh, I spent about 10 years in commercial real estate development and construction, did a lot of medical buildings around the hospitals. We ended up building the Salesforce Tower, which is now the largest building in, Indi in oh, Indiana. Yeah. Wow. And then an architectural firm with whom I was working, uh, we're looking for a new president. And so I actually became president of the, uh, it's called Castler and Associates, which does interior architecture. We had offices in Cincinnati and Indianapolis. I opened an office in Cleveland. You know, we sold that. Then a, a friend said, you know, what, what are you going to do next? And uh, he had come to Indiana to run PSI Energy, which was the largest utility in Indiana. I said, you know, I, I, I don't know a megawatt from a light bulb. He said, well, you can learn. And uh, a year later, we announced a merger with Cincinnati Gas and Electric Company to create a company called Synergy Corp. I was with them. We moved to Cincinnati. I did run Cincinnati Gas and Electric company for a while. Then we met and announced a merger with Duke Energy to create the largest utility in the United States, wow. Duke Energy. And so I had to change a control provision in my contract then. Uh, Jim Rogers, who was the chairman and CEO, we were friends and we started a not-for-profit called Global Bright Light Foundation, where we... Uh, provided solar lights to off-grid families. These solar lights also charged their cell phones, which was very important. Grew that to be the largest one in the uh, in the country, or in the world, actually. And then uh, I got a call. Uh, could you come to Nantucket? We have a home on Nantucket. So I've been going out there for about 45 years about this cultural center that was losing money. And so interestingly enough, one of the board members was Kathy Penske. Oh, wow. So I got to know got to know Kathy, Roger a little bit, but I did that. I said I'd do it for five years. So finally, I was getting ready to take a little bit of a breather. And an old, old friend of mine from Indianapolis who I've known for years, and uh, Mark Miles, who now runs Penske Entertainment, runs the you know the, the track and everything. He said, "Would you would you be willing? Would you think about coming home?" And I said, "To do what?" And he said. We got a museum here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and it really hasn't changed too much in the last several decades. And it's really not what most people expect a museum to be today. You know, immersive, interactive, participatory, educational. And, you know, it just sounded intriguing. I said, Mark, you know, I don't have the kind of background that a lot of people do, but I'm willing to learn. And so uh, it'll be two years in January that I arrived back and really with the charge to 
to, to rethink this museum. Uh, Mark, I'll never forget the first week I was here. I was in the, in the downstairs and talking to guests, you know, and what do you think? Are you having a good time? What's your impression? This one woman said, do you really want to know the truth? And I said, well, please, that's why I'm asking you. She said, to me, it looks like an indoor parking lot set in a middle school cafeteria with books on the wall. <laughs> and I said, well, you you know, I don't know if that's the tagline we're going to use going forward, but you may have nailed it. So anyway, two years later, here I am. You know, what a story. And it's kind of a testament to you can teach an old dog new tricks over and over again. (laughs) But you know what I think is great about your story? And it's something that a guest not too long ago said to me, that when you turn 50, you owe it to yourself to look at doing something completely different and new. And it sounds like you've kind of done that throughout your entire life. You, you've mentioned you like to learn, you like to do things, and you're a nice inspiration for listeners out there that get trapped in one thing and they feel like they can't go anywhere else. So if you were to give somebody some advice to get out of that trap who has the inclination to learn and do things different, what would you say to them? You know, I'd say get involved in the community. So much of what I've been able to do has been a direct result of serving as a volunteer, meeting different people outside my circle, and then being exposed to other opportunities. People get to know you. They find a void someplace. Hey, you know, I wonder if Joe knows anybody that might be interested in that, or if perhaps he might be. I I just think it's very important to kind of broaden your horizon and also really get involved wherever you are, whatever your community is, get involved in some way, because inevitably, I think that's going to lead to other opportunities, be it professional or volunteer. Great advice. Now, for what you're doing now and with, of course, Penske, Roger Penske taking over the track, everything he touches gets inspiring, modified, bigger, grander. And so this is perfect because I have to agree a bit with that lady that you spoke with when I first time I went was I was expecting more at the museum. Now, this was probably 15 years ago, but still it hasn't changed over time. And it was kind of like going into someone's garage with a bunch of cars packed in there and so forth. So as far as what you guys are planning, can you give us any inclination of where you want to take this museum to where we will see it in another, I don't know, let's say three, five years as these things take time. We know from a programming standpoint, Mark, you know, I, I looked back, you know, and, and for so long, the museum was associated with the Holman family because Tony and then Tony George, you know, mm-hmm. they, a lot of our collection really is the result of their generosity. And then in, in, in 2016, the board was formed, a separate 501c, a 501c3 was created uh, here at the museum. And so we started developing a broader foundation of support. But what I found when I got here a couple of years ago, I look back, you know, in the last five, six, seven years, and we've been kind of stuck at 150,000 visitors a year. Now, they were literally from all over the world. You know, we found that this is a bucket list destination. It's on a lot of people's bucket list. They want to see, they want to ride around the track. They want to kiss the bricks. But it, it and, and about 80% of our visitors are certainly from outside of Indiana. A lot of international visitors too. But, the, but what I saw, one of the issues was that, you know, we would open an exhibit around the race on A.J. Foyt. That exhibit would stay up for a year. So if I saw that in May during the race, what's my incentive to come back? Because nothing's going to change. So this year, for instance, we have five exhibitions. So we're giving people reasons to come back. And they're also, I think they're touching different audiences, if you will. I mean, we had this wonderful, we have this wonderful exhibition up uh, called Roadsters to Records, which is about that kind of iconic decade plus from 1960 to 72, when the design of cars changed so much and, the, and you know, the speed kind of went through the roof. We have another one up now called Traditions. 
and it focuses on all those traditions that have sprung up around the race. What's their origin, the reason behind it? Uh, We have another exhibition up right now called Sleek, the Art of the Helmet. And, you know, there's not a car in that exhibition, but it's been one of our more popular ones. We have a, a nine historic helmets from 1911 on. We have nine helmets that are being used by drivers right now. And, you know, why are they decorated the way they are? And then we commission nine Indiana artists to kind of do fantasy helmets. And so there's, you know, there's interviews with the drivers that have worn the helmets, with the artists that have made the helmets. It's just a little different. But what it's doing, it's bringing in a different group of people to us. And then next week on, on uh, well, on November 17th, we're opening a new exhibition called Second. And it's about all those drivers that tried to win the 500, but they came in second. What did that mean to their career? What's the story behind that? How close were they to winning? So again, we're trying to every couple of months introduce a new exhibition that's going to bring new people in. And we're really seeing that paying off in terms of attendance. I've had so many directors, curators of museums from all around the world on the show. And one of the things I've learned listening to them is having lots of events, new events, rotating exhibits is the key. It brings people back. I just had a guest from the LeMay Museum, which is right down 10 minutes away from my house. And they've had over 125 events this year, Um, all sorts of different things going on. And you're right. Once somebody goes somewhere... Why do they go back? Well, you need to give them a reason to right? and all these different venues. So I think you're on a very good track. Um, I'm excited to see where the museum goes. So the next time I come to visit. And, and you know, it's interesting because we, we, we had the car guys, certainly. And there are a lot of our guests, a lot of our members that they just love coming in on a regular basis and seeing their favorite cars. And, it, and I, I should point out, it's not totally static there because we're constantly loaning cars. You know, right now we've got one of our incredible cars that 1954-196 Mercedes that I think is like a piece of sculpture. It's a work of art. But it's at the Peterson right now in their Andy Warhol exhibition that uh, Andy Warhol did uh, for Mercedes, did uh, silk screens. So in exchange for that, we got the first Ferrari ever made that was in the Peterson collection. So we've got that downstairs in our basement collection right now. And our basement collection is kind of a VIP tour that we have now. We just started it last year. It's um, a lot of people used to call the the basement an indoor parking lot because we had a lot of cars crammed there. We've really tried to make it an exhibition. You come in and chronologically see the development of the IndyCar. And then one fourth of it is actually attributed to Indiana build cars because at one point there were over 300 car manufacturers in Indiana, far, far exceeding, you know, Detroit and Michigan. And so we have one quarter of the museum of the basement that way, but it's, it's been interesting. It's not for everybody. And we acknowledge that it's expensive, but that revenue has helped us do some of the planning for new exhibitions and maybe someday a renovated museum. You know, we take six people down at a time. Uh, It's docent led, no cameras are allowed. It's one hundred and fifty dollars a person, and you know it's already generated about another new a new one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in revenue for the museum. That's now allowing us to plan for the future. Nice. So again. I, I, Every couple of months, we're trying to do something differently. We have speaker series. We have Fuel Up Fridays where we have speakers in. We have you know Cars and Coffee the first uh, Saturday of every month from uh, April to uh, October. So exactly what you're saying, give people the reason to come back. 
Right. Well, the Peterson does a the great event. You talk about basements, their vault, uh, right. which they proved is a great place, very much like what you're doing there, where it's somewhat private, exclusive, no photos. Um, I got to shoot one of my, when I was doing a TV show back in 2019, one of my shows down there, which was really cool. So um, yeah. yeah, you're on a good track, I think for sure. Now, I have a feeling, given a guy like you that likes to give back, mentorship and influences are a key part of your life. Not only you influencing others, but people that have influenced you do you have somebody like that in your life that's been a key influencer oh gosh you know i mean i I think back on 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 some teachers that i have a lot of friends uh the same way i mean you know just i think deep deep old friendships that you have they're always kind of encouraging you to to look at new opportunities look at things a little bit differently you know i i guess i get in i i travel a lot mm-hmm. i get inspired that way too you know I, I i tease that you know my wife lets me take one adventure a year you know and so <laughs> it may be to the base camp of mount everest or it might be running a marathon in antarctica which i've done so you know i'm always I, i'm looking for experiences that first of all take me a little out of my comfort zone and inevitably you're going to learn something you're going to meet interesting people and then that kind of helps expand your network if you will so if you are thinking of doing something new, got a new project. It's always good, I think, to have people to bounce those that off of. And uh, I've developed a nice network of people that I'm able to do that with. Well, that's important. Sounds like a very full, rich life. We'll take a short moment with some more sponsors here. We come back. I'm going to ask you about, well, what I call the challenge question here on Cars Yeah. So keep the seatbelt cinched tight. We're at the Indianapolis Raceway. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine here on Cars Yeah for a couple of years now. Well, they're growing. And in 2023, they're going to grow from four issues a year to six. And there's an opportunity here for you to take advantage of this growth. If you go to LinkageMag.com and click on the Renew button, if you already subscribe, you can get a great deal. Use the code RENEW6 for one year and you'll get six issues for the price of four or Type in Renew 12 for two years where you also have a great savings. Plus, they'll even throw in a free Linkage hat. How cool is that? The publisher of Linkage is Donald Osborne. He's been a guest multiple times here on Cars Yeah. He's become a good friend of mine. And I'll tell you, Linkage Magazine is one of those newer magazines that you're going to want to get. It's all about experiences, opinions, and values. It's a wonderful publication, something I look forward to getting. And now that I'm going to be getting six a year, even more special. So go to linkagemag.com. Again, use the code RENEW6 or RENEW12 to get that special deal. Do it before December 31st, 2022, so that in 2023, you'll get six issues of Linkage Magazine instead of four. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles, skill trade, Visit rpm.foundation today. 
So, Joe, the challenge question I pose for people is a very serious time in your life where you've kind of pushed up against the wall, maybe even crashed into the wall since we're at a racetrack. That can happen. But more importantly, what was the learning lesson here? What was that valuable lesson when you look back and you can kind of say, I'm I'm kind of happy I went through that difficult time? I guess there was a time when I was working in, in, <laughs> in one of my careers and we were going through a, a pretty serious depression in the United States. Okay. It became, I, I, it became very difficult to manage a company during that time, keep everybody employed and, and also try to generate new revenue for the company. It, it was challenging because there was a period of time where I wouldn't totally confident that we were going to emerge from this. Okay. And I had a lot of people that depended on me for their livelihoods. And, you know, it was just one of those couple of month periods where you you, you don't sleep a lot. You think about it a lot in the middle of the night and you, you, you feel so such a sense of responsibility. And I think that's when I really started calling on that network of people that have influenced me, that have had an impact on me. You know, what would you do in this situation? Give me some advice here. And, you know, eventually we got through it, but it, it was it was a very tough time. And what did it allow me to do? It it just it allowed me to appreciate everything, everything I'm able to do today, everything I have today. Absolutely, because when it, you're in jeopardy of losing it, that's when I think you really understand how important family, friends, and and you know some of the toys that you have are too. Well, of course, and of course, we just went through another one of those with the COVID pandemic shutting down so many businesses and being a museum. Obviously, you couldn't be open, couldn't have events. I mean, that's the a de- can be a death nail to many. But you're right, reaching out the period of time you were going through was that the 0708 crash? Yes. Yeah, yeah, real estate. You mentioned you worked in real estate, right? And right yeah, right. that was another. Oh, you know, I think for young people that weren't working at that time, uh, that was big time serious. That wasn't a shorter period like COVID. That drug out 07, 08, 09, even into 10 uh, ramifications. So, yeah, I think your key uh, answer to that question there is reach out to others. You don't just feel like you're in this bubble by yourself. Others are facing this too. Others have faced it, especially more mature people who've been around because these, especially real estate, I mean, you and I have been around for a while. So in the 80s, there was, well, 70s, there was a bad one. You talk about the oil embargo and and all of that. And then it happened again in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And then it happened, you know, it just these cycles. So uh, that rainy day fund is important. We should be pretty good at it by now. Well, you think so, but just when you uh, just when you forget all the pain, uh, sometimes it kind of comes back, and you've got to relearn it. But uh, yeah. yeah, it seems like one thing I've learned is human beings can be very resilient if they reach out and ask for help. And most of the time, there's great help to uh, be given. You know, we talked a little bit. I like to ask about bucket list items. We did touch on this with where you see the museum going. If you could project out your grand vision and your team, because you work with a lot of great people, do you have a grand vision? Will the museum stay on like where it is, expansion maybe? I I think that's one of our calling cards, if you will, the fact that we are right inside, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you drive in and this brutalist building, you know, yeah. built in the in the 70s is li- literally the first thing you see. It's imperative that we stay here. And, and, and Roger realizes that, Mark realizes that, everybody connected to the 500, I think, realizes how important that is. Now, does it need to change? Absolutely. I mean, we are, we are nearing the use, the end of the useful life of an HVAC system, fire suppression, all of that's going to be done 
done, have to be done. So, you know, our thinking is if that has to be done, well, it's, that's the time to take a look at, you know, what should this museum be? When you walk in and you've done this, Mark, when you walk in, you basically see our entire museum. It's right there in front of you. You know, there's no real storytelling that takes place inside of it. That's something we would like to change. A series of galleries that tells you, tell, that tells you a story. A lot of people come here because they want to take the tour around the track and kiss the bricks. That's really, really important. Well, a lot of times we don't have the track available to us because good, Goodyear, Firestone, maybe testing some. So what the Penske organization has really been helpful to us is developing alternative tours. We have one called uh, View from the Top, where our guests can go up to the top of the pagoda, which is typically off limits. That's where Roger Pinsky watches the race. They can look out on the track. People are stunned at the scale and scope of this place. You know, you just don't get it until you see it from above or someplace. And um, so, uh, you know, we've developed those kinds of of tours. We're looking at maybe developing a restoration, a new restoration shop that could be part of a tour. You know, I've been down to Rev. I've been to a lot of the other museums. People are fascinated by restoration of a really cool car. And so that might be part of, you know, some type of future expansion as well, where we'd have our own restoration shop, you know, maybe close by here. And we've got buses that we take people on tours around the track that could easily go across the street or wherever. So we're looking at at those types of kind of add-on experiences, you know, as well. Well, another thing we're doing is uh, the book, Uh, the book that uh, Bill Pack has photographed for us. We created a studio in our basement and and literally photographed all 34 of the winning Indy 500 winning cars that we have. It is a stunning book. We just got advanced copies last week here at the museum. I, I don't think there's ever been a book like this done. I mean, Bill takes each car like it's a piece, it's a work of art, like it's a sculpture. And he will take a photograph of the car lit beautifully, stunningly lit. And then he'll take just segments of the car, pieces of the car, so that it almost looks like, you know, a, a piece of sculpture or something. We we had Roger Penske write the foreword for the book. Lynn St. James wrote the introduction to the book. And then we've got, like I said, our 34 winning cars in it. And it's, uh, I can't wait. We're going to have a book launch on December 8th, and then it'll be available on our website uh, to the public. For you listeners, if you missed my talk with Bill last week, uh, you need to go back and listen because we go into depth about how he shot that, how the whole program came together. Uh, His artwork, his photography, and I call it art because it really is a visual artwork uh, through photography, is quite stunning. And even the way the book was bound is very unique where they did an open binding where it can lay flat so crossover images can be seen better. Uh, It's stunning. I'll put links on uh, the show notes page for Joe here. You can buy the book through the museum's website. Uh, That's how you get your hands on on it. And I always tell people, us car people are hard to buy for. Buy a bunch of these <laughs> and give them to all your car buddies because it's a lifetime purchase. They, you know, they will keep this book in their library forever, for sure. And that, and, and just so you know, uh, Mark, that page where you can buy the book will be going public on December 8th, the day we have the book launch party here at the museum. I'll put links to that for sure. Yeah. Now, I like to ask my guests about special vehicles in their lives. I'm going to twist yours up a little bit because you said you're not really a car guy or you've liked cars, but you're not maybe as diehard as some of the crazy people, including myself, that have been on the show. However, I'm going to twist this question up for you. If you could pick any car in the museum and I would park it in your garage, what would it be? But more importantly, why? 
Oh, I think it would be that that '54 Mercedes, that 196. <laughs> it's yep. so unique. It's it's a beautiful car. I mean, I'd love to get in it today and drive it to Ushuaia, the the tip of South America. I mean, you talk about a road trip. That would be it. Yeah. Uh, no, I just I, I think that's just such a gorgeous car. You know, it did go around the track once, not racing by any means, but it did it did drive around the track. But you know, it, it's I, I guess you could argue that it's not directly associated to our mission, but it's such an important car, like the Ferrari that we have, that uh, the first Ferrari to win Le Mans, so important that uh, they really are crown jewels of our collection. You picked a special car, my friend, and this is very interesting that you picked that car, but I can I can see why, because those cars back in the day, unlike more modern race cars, you could drive them on the streets too. They really were crossovers. You think of the Ferrari GTO and so forth. So uh, the open wheel race cars, yeah, aren't really uh, perfect for the street, but you picked a you nice know, one. I've got a great story, Mark. We have a, a new organization called the Chairman's Council. And this is a group of people, couples that have agreed to give us a certain amount of money each year. Very generous. And then we have a, a dinner once a year for them. The first year we had uh, David Letterman interviewing Bobby Rahal, which was really kind of fun and poignant at the same time. Uh, last year we had A.J. Foyt interviewed by his grandson, but we also take him on a tour. So this this next year we're taking him to the Goodwood Revival and we got a lot of cool things planned in London. Dinner with Kenny Brock at the uh, Royal Automotive Club. We're going to have lunch inside Parliament with the Transportation wow. Committee that oversees racing and going to the McLaren Technology Center. We're going to the Mercedes driving experience, you know, helicoptering into a Goodwood. But last year we went, took them all out to the Peterson in LA, saw some private collections, Bruce Myers collection. And then one morning, everybody got their own McLaren, Ferrari, or Lamborghini to drive up Pacific Coast Highway Whoa. to have lunch at Nobu in Malibu. Oh my and then gosh. they could take the car that afternoon anywhere they wanted to go. You talk about kids in a, in a candy store. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and you know, I got to see how, how important too, to everybody, these cars the cars are. So like I said, I'm getting better. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. And I'm appreciating yeah. a lot more what I'm sitting on top of here at the museum. Oh, most definitely for sure. Now I have a degree, a doctorate in car psychology. You may not know that it's, it's on my wall somewhere here. I haven't found the, <laughs> the actual paper, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, Joe. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle, this is you as the man, who you are, the man in the mirror, not what you want to be. What kind of vehicle would you be reincarnated as? But more importantly, why? Oh, gosh. You know, they told me not to say turbo, which was the cartoon car we've got in the basement. <laughs> um, you know, the, you know, a car we drove when everybody had their, you know, I, I, I chose last. Okay. okay. I want yeah. our guests to get the cars that well, they wanted smart last man. year. <laughs> yeah. And I drove a, <laughs> so weird. It was a Rolls Royce SUV. Oh, okay. Yeah. The oh Cullinan. my gosh. That thing could do anything. You know, I mean, I didn't even know why it needed me, you know, <laughs> inside of it. And, you know, you could have constellations, any of the constellations on the roof, on the ceiling of that yeah, thing. It was just yeah. amazing. So, you know, it's probably the most recent cool car that I've driven is the answer to your question. But that one really stood out. I mean, I just am usually not driving, you know, $500,000 cars. 
<laughs> well, most of us aren't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never driven one, but I have had a ride in one during Car Week at Pebble Beach, and they're quite extraordinary. When you think about the SUV and what it's done to the car market in the yeah. last 20 plus years, it's almost like that's the only car available. It's like station wagons have gone away. Pickup trucks are still here, but everyone wants an SUV. Yeah. So that's why when Ferrari has, is going to have one, Rolls Royce, Lamborghini, uh, BMW, Porsche, they all have an SUV because I guess that's kind of what people want. But what you're saying is they can kind of do everything. Uh, yeah. a, a bit of jack of all trades, master of many, I guess right. is the way right. to say it. Right. So right. yeah, right. I love it. It's very, very cool. Now I know you love to give back and I wanted you to touch a little bit more on the uh, Bright Light Foundation, what that was. I found that very intriguing. Well, Jim Rogers, who was the chairman and CEO of Duke Energy at the time, and I were out in Colorado right after Christmas. And uh, we had both read an article in the New York Times that morning about a woman in Kenya who had five children. And she would get up early in the morning, walk three miles, pay pay $2 to, for a bush taxi to take her to another village that was about three hours away in order to charge her cell phone. Oh and then gosh. she'd have to repeat that going back again to be home with her children that night. But it was costing her only 25 cents to charge her cell phone, but it cost her like four or five dollars to get there and back. And the reason she needed that char- cell phone charge is that not only did it allow her to communicate with her son who had moved up, uh, if she owed somebody a dollar and she had five dollars credit on her phone, she could transfer the dollar to them. It was the banking system. She could check what the weather was going to be like, whether or not she was going to be able to work in the fields plant. It just had so many wins to it. And this woman was taking so much of her time because she had to do this once a week, so much of her time and money where if she had a solar panel that was probably about 12 by eight inches, put it on top of her hut during the day, brought it inside, it would charge her cell phone and provide light at night. So she could continue to work, could cook, her kids could do homework at night. And this this thing, would it, it was a $25 device. So it wasn't a giveaway program that you had to, they had to buy it, but they could buy it over time. But I just saw how it transformed lives. That woman, she was no longer burning a Coke can with kerosene in it and, a, and you know, a piece of fabric as a, a wick. She was not, you know, knocking that kerosene lantern over and burning a kid. They weren't breathing that and having respiratory problems. Yeah. It, it just had so many wins to it. So we said we could, we could create an organization that can help some people solved the problem. And Jim at the point then was the chairman of GSEP, which was the, the group of the 16 largest utilities in the world. So you had China Hydro and you had Rus, you know, Russian, uh, the Russian one, and, and they each committed $100,000 to it. So all of a sudden we had you know, we, we, we scaled up and we could really, we ended up, you know, that first year, I think helping about 365,000 families. And then Whoa. it kind of grew from there. So it, I don't know, it was a wonderful, simple solution to a, a very basic problem that transformed people's lives. You know, huh, that's tremendous. My son, when he was in high school, started a philanthropic program through uh, World Bicycle Relief, and they raised money to provide bicycles to rural visitors, uh, visitors, rural uh, people living out in the bush in Africa. And they ended up, they didn't, you know, it's interesting. You said they didn't give it away. They had to buy it. And that's what World Bicycle Relief figured out. If you give things to people, they don't take as good a care of them as if they have to purchase them. Yeah. But they provided a bicycle for very inexpensive 
and this allowed villagers to get into town to sell their goods. It allowed their kids to ride their bikes to school. Otherwise, they had to walk miles and miles and miles, sometimes through dangerous areas where there's wild animals. Yeah. Uh, you're an example, and, and I cite my son because, of course, I'm very proud of him and what he did when he's in high school. He's he's 28 now, about to turn 29, actually. Uh, actually, tomorrow is his birthday. These are things that any of you listeners can do. You can get involved in these things and look at where they can go. Uh, what Joe did here with Bright Light, inc- the number of people you affected, and you think about those little touch points of improving life that are so simple that we take for granted here that can happen. So my hat's off to you, my friend. That is uh, that is tremendous. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful story. Of course, I always ask about books. Today, we're promoting Bill Pack's book, Epic Drama, the winning collection of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. It'll be available December 8th. So you got to go check that out and get yourself a copy or two or three. Buy them for gifts, uh, ultimate, ultimate gift for the car person in your life. So I'm going to allow you to go on the ultimate drive today. Uh, you kind of did that in that SUV, <laughs> but I'm going to buy you any car in the world. You you sound like a guy that likes to go on worldly adventures. So I'm going to buy do. you any car to take anywhere, and you could take anybody with you, even somebody who's no longer with us, somebody from the past, which opens up the world of opportunity. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you, and how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> First of all, I take my wife. A perfect answer. Yeah, we've been married a long time, and uh, three kids and six grandkids, and wow, you know she 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 deserves it. Now, you know the thing is, I tend to go places she really doesn't care to go a lot okay. of the time. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Me too. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I and and I guess a, a, sl- a dog sled across Antarctica doesn't qualify because there would be no car involved. I'll buy you a dog sled and some dogs if you want. <laughs> but, that would be no, the first. I, you know, there was there was a trip that I had planned, and then. Uh, kind of uh, political situations intervened and it was from uh it was from moscow to dubai and a lot of it was going to be on a train through a lot of the stands and i just it just uh, it's an area of the world that i don't know real well i've been to about 100 countries but i haven't been there and so i that that always appealed to me somewhat i'd still like to drive that mercedes that's in the in the <laughs> in the <laughs> well, in the basement to do yeah, that yeah although actually if i had that rolls royce suv i could actually live in that and then save money on a hotel couldn't i well, I'm going to pay for the whole thing. So if you want a nice hotel, oh, okay. Joe, don't worry. I'll put you up anywhere you want. I've had many people on the show that have done very long adventures in cars, all sorts of different things, Peking to Paris and all sorts of different things. So yeah. that sounds like a pretty special trip. I have yeah. a feeling you're a guy that would take great great example of taking great risk and fun and enjoyment of doing something very I'm, out there. I'm always looking for that next adventure. I love it. That's great. Well, you've taken us on a great adventure today, Joe. I want to thank you for spending time sharing your world with us and what you're going to be doing at the museum. Can't wait to visit again. Before I let you go, could you share some words of inspiration, advice, or wisdom? Well, first of all, I just want to invite all of your all of your listeners, Mark, to visit our museum. I'm continually amazed at I had this, you know, the superintendent of schools over here recently, and he's been superintendent for nine years, but had never been inside the track, never wow. been inside the museum. You know, we need to do such a better job, I think, of demonstrating to young people that there are such wonderful careers associated with motorsports. I think a lot of people still have this perception that it's a bunch of grease monkeys. They don't realize that the teams today have, you know, status aeronautical engineers, mechanical engineers, structural engineers, marketing, development. There are 
so many wonderful jobs, well-paying jobs, lucrative jobs connected to this profession. And one of our missions going forward is to certainly develop a better educational program, but also really work with local schools to try to provide a feeder system. And also, to be honest with you, to diversify that group of people that are applying for jobs too. I think that's going to be really important going forward. And uh, it's something we're going to be focusing on. Well, I think it's tremendous. My listeners know I've been a longtime supporter and they are my charity of choice, the RPM Foundation and Tech Force Foundation. Both those organizations are doing exactly that. And they're great things if you've not already uh, connected with them. And we get a grant from them uh, to help us pay for uh, some of our interns. So it's a great organization. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, So uh, I think you're on a nice track. I can't wait to see what happens there. How can people learn more about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum? Websites probably the best way to do it. Become a member; that'll help us grow even more. Membership started seventy-five bucks. Uh, everything's included after that in terms of all of our, you know, most of our programming. So uh, become a member, visit our website, buy the book, as you say, and uh, but most important, come visit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a big shout out. Thank you to Bill Pack for setting this up today so that I could talk with Joe. Bill, thank you very much. Hey, Joe, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your world. What a life you've had, what a life you are experiencing, and what a life you're going to have going into the future. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Pleasure. Thanks. This has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.